gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown Accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are changing This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore. Welcome, everyone, to my podcast today. Let me kick this podcast off by making this statement. I'm voting for Joe Biden because I don't believe him. And I'm speaking directly to those of you who are feeling in some state of despair that after watching the Democratic Convention, which had many good moments, a couple of great moments. It is dispiriting to see one Republican after another being given so much space on the virtual stage. I get it. that We, we want to hold our hand out to anybody to come and vote against Trump, for Biden, whatever the reason we need to remove this sociopath, psychopath from the White House. So I understand, I understand that. But, wow, such a slap in the face to the majority, not just the majority of Democrats, but the majority of Americans. You know, whether you voted for Biden or Bernie or whoever you voted for, the, the polls, all the polls show, all the, they took, they asked people going in to vote. How do you feel about Medicare for all? How do you feel about raising the minimum wage? How do you feel about equal rights for women? How do you feel about choice? How do you feel about down the whole list? And in every state, including states like Alabama and Mississippi, the majority of voters said they wanted full coverage, Medicare for all, government health insurance. Even they even they even tried to ask the question, like you know, you mean we, so you would be in favor of one hundred percent government sponsored health care, and the answer was yes, of course. So to have a candidate who has publicly said that he will veto, not just he won't support, he'll veto any bill that provides Medicare for all, and some of the other things that he. Uh, he won't sign on to AOC's or Bernie's Green New Deal, though he has his own, you know, strong beliefs about climate and what needs to be done. And there, you know, there are many good things that he supports on that, but it is dispiriting to go through a four-day convention and have the voices of the majority snuffed out, the majority that support the policies. Lots of good feeling stuff, lots of good compassion, diversity, all these things are, are very important. I'm not putting them down. We, we need a good dose of that right now after four years of this madness. So I'm not putting it down at all. In fact, I encourage it. I encourage that part of Biden that, that knows that he needs to do that for the country. So this podcast is really to those of you who, like me, are demoralized in that sense and that and that the trick, the trick of both the Republicans, but also the mainstream corporate Democrats is to have us dispirited and demoralized and just ready to throw our hands up and give up. That's exactly what they need. Trump needs it because he needs to get back in the office and he needs us not to either to stay home or or not bring five to ten people with us to the polls. He knows we're not going to vote for him, so... But, uh, but he, can, he can hope that the vote gets depressed. And the Democrats did a great job of trying to depress the vote last week by not addressing the policies, the actual issues that are of serious importance on a day-to-day level with the majority of Americans. And that's what we can't, we can't let the Democrats defeat us. We can't let this is. Do you, do you remember back in the um, back in the early days 
before the primaries, but in the early days of the campaign for this election year. So this would be in late, you know, 2019. And Democrats who publicly said that if Bernie wins the primaries, they could not, they could not say that they would endorse him or vote for him. Do you remember that? Hillary said it. John Kerry said it. They implied or said outright that they just, they just didn't know how they could get out there and support Bernie, which meant then that Trump would be president for four more years. They went that far. That's how much they despise. Because remember, they are bought and paid for by Wall Street, by corporate America. They are not on our side. They look like they're on our side. They say nice things, but they are not on our side. And we know it. And that's why it makes it so hard to think about getting out there and getting to the polls and getting other people to the polls. It, it's so weird. It's almost like the Democrats, they almost, they want to lose. <laughs> so I speak to you, to those of you who are correctly assessing the situation. But I want to put this out there because I never want to give up the reins of who's really in charge. And who's in charge is we, we the people. We control it. And it may not feel like that. And it may feel sometimes that we're just trying to convince ourselves and rationalize that, that we have some sort of power, but actually we have all the power. We have all, we the people, whether it's we the people of this country or in Nicaragua or South Africa or Palestine or anywhere, we have always had the power. You've always had the power, as the wizard said, to go back home to Kansas, to be Kansas. You only had to click your heels three times. In this case... You only have to get out in the streets. You only have to get to the ballot box. You only have to, to rise up. And when we have risen up, look at how much better the country and the world has gotten. So don't fall for it. And that's why I began here on this episode with these words. I'm voting for Joe Biden because I don't believe him. Now, of course, you're saying to yourself, well, Mike, if you don't believe him, what are you doing voting for him? Well, because he doesn't really get a say in this, Joe Biden. I get the say, and you get the say. Let me tell you. Let me tell you why I don't believe him. On June 18th, 2019, that's last summer, so it's 14 months ago, almost three years to the day when Trump rode down the golden escalator at Trump Tower to announce he's running for president. June 18th, 2019, Joe Biden, you know, gearing up, he's announced that he's running. Joe Biden comes to Manhattan and holds a high-end fundraiser at the Carlisle Hotel on Manhattan's Upper East Side. This is a very swank hotel, and it's full of fat cats. You had to pay a lot of money to get into this, or you had to bundle a lot of money to get into this fundraiser for Joe Biden. You and I weren't there. No postal workers were there. No bus drivers. No first responders. Nobody who works on a car. Nobody who teaches your kid. No nurse who's saved your grandparents. Just the fat cats at the Carlisle Hotel on June 18th, 2019, last year. Among the guests were former Bill Clinton Treasury Secretary Robert Rubin, formerly of Goldman Sachs, and former Deputy Treasury Secretary under Clinton, Roger Altman, formerly of Lehman Brothers. These are two big shots from Wall Street. They call themselves Democrats. And there were a whole bunch of others there. Biden, Joe Biden, promised them that night on June 18th, 2019, that he would, and I'm quoting now, never demonize the rich. He promised that if he were elected president, he would never demonize the rich. And he promised them that, quote, no one's standard of living, rich people, no one's, he didn't say that part. He's talking to the rich in the room. No one's standard of living will change. And then he added, in fact, quote, nothing would fundamentally change 
in a Joe Biden administration. Nothing would fundamentally change. And then he added on, um, by the way, folks, uh, I, I need you badly. <laughs> Nothing will fundamentally change. That was his promise to the rich in the room that night. Well, I'm here to tell you, Joe Biden, <laughs> you were dead wrong. You were dead wrong. Nothing will fundamentally change. Everything has fundamentally changed. It's not up to you what will be, what will change. It's up to the people. It's up to the virus. It's up to events and situations and whatever. You aren't being elected master of the world. Nothing will fundamentally change, Biden promised them. Everything has changed. Nothing will fundamentally change. We are in, we are in a once-in-a-century pandemic. Has anything fundamentally changed? Nothing will fundamentally change. We're in a once-in-a-century, or to be specific, once-in-every-91-years depression. We are in a depression. Nobody wants to say the words. We are and we will be in this next year in a depression. The last Great Depression began in 1929. This is 2020, almost 100 years. Nothing will fundamentally change. The police finally murdered one too many black men. And then, boom, into the streets America went and are still in the streets. This week alone, Kenosha, Wisconsin, Portland, Chicago, Louisville. It continues every single day. The news may not always cover it, but it is happening. Those of you who live in all these cities, it continues every day. Historians and the news media have all declared that this is the largest protest movement in American history. Nothing will fundamentally change. Everything has fundamentally changed. Even, even all the things that were said during the primaries, during the debates by the Democrats, other than Bernie, mostly. And Elizabeth and Kamala were often with, you know, Bernie on, on a number of these things. But, but the majority of the Democrats on that stage, they just kept repeating the same lies. Well, Americans, Americans love their, their private, their private employer provided healthcare plan. Nobody wants to give that up. They love their private insurance company. Nobody has ever loved their private insurance company. It's nothing but keep raising the deductible, keep raising the copay, keep screwing me, keep not reimbursing my hospital stay, the ambulance ride, fight. Fight, fight, nonstop fighting the insurance company to get what you've been paying for that they should be paying for, and they won't. Nobody, nobody, who loves, please, I'll pause for a show of hands. Stand right now in your living room. Stop the car and get out on the side of the road and stand and declare, I love my private employer-provided health care plan. Yeah, you loved it. You loved it, really? Mm-hmm. I don't think you're saying it. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for somebody to say it. Yeah. You know why you're not saying it? Because what has the pandemic taught us? As soon as millions were thrown out of work, as soon as millions were furloughed, as soon as millions were told to stay home, and while the government helped with unemployment insurance, they cut everyone off immediately from their beloved private employer-based health care plan. And why'd they do that? Because, well, you didn't have an employer anymore. You were out of work. You were laid off. And that was the end of that for tens of millions of people. And as we sit here today, still people during a pandemic, when would be the time you would most need your health insurance card? I would say during some sort of well, maybe an epidemic, maybe a pandemic, maybe something that has killed upwards to 200,000 people. Yeah, we need that card now more than ever as a protection. Because if we do survive it, we're going to be destroyed financially. We will be in bankruptcy. We will lose our homes. The beloved 
private employer-based healthcare plan. Nothing, nothing has fun- fundamentally changed. Everything has fundamentally changed. Nobody believes that anymore. I'd like to hear one Democrat stand right now on the floor of Congress, on the floor of the Senate, and tell us how much people are so happy they had an employer-provided health care plan. Uh, let's go back to the Democratic uh, debates. Oh, well, you know, Bernie wants all these things, but <laughs> who's going to pay for it? Yeah. How are we going to afford that? We can't afford that. Well, that Green New Deal thing, Bernie, uh, that's trillions of dollars. <laughs> it makes sense to a lot of people watching. Yeah, that's true. You know, where are we going to come up with a trillion dollars or something? The pandemic hits. What happened? They came up not just with a trillion dollars. They came up with two trillion and then another trillion and then and on and on and on. Of course, they've got the money. They've always, always have the money. They own the printing press. They own Fort Knox. They own the world. They own the world. They own the world. Not to mention the two trillion dollar tax cut. That's two trillion we don't have coming in anymore from the rich that Trump got passed. No, nothing has fundamentally changed. Everything has fundamentally changed. We can't afford that. We can afford everything. They just start doling out the money, as they should, in terms of the things that we've needed. Well, they can't tell the banks that they they can't evict people if they're not paying their mortgage. You can't tell the landlords you can't evict people if they haven't paid the rent. That's exactly what the fuck happened. A moratorium. A moratorium on evictions. How'd that happen? How'd they tell the property owners, the most valued citizens that there are, the white male property owners, how did they tell them, sorry, you're just going to have to put a pause on the evictions? They didn't do that in 2008 when millions lost their homes. But this time they did it. Can't do that. It's exactly what you did. Nothing is going to fundamentally change. Talk about a fundamental change. Telling the bank and the landlord to fuck off for a while. Wow. We live to see that. And how about all the governors that started releasing people from prison? One after the other. Releasing nonviolent criminals who hadn't finished their sentence. Sentences that were already grotesquely long. Let them out. Just let them out. What happened to law and order? What happened to... Crack down on crime. What happened to rounding up the black and the brown people and locking them up and throwing the key away? All of a sudden? Yes, uh, well, we're just we're going to uh, have to, because the pandemic has uh, spread throughout our prisons, we're going to have to uh, elect a lot of people out. Now, don't worry, you know, they're, they're not worried. They're, they're not violent uh, criminals. Uh, they, in fact, they really didn't. Uh, their, their crimes were not serious. Their crimes were not serious? Well, then what the fuck were they doing in prison? Why why would we take someone's freedom away from them and lock them up? And why would the taxpayers pay for that if they hadn't done anything serious, if they weren't a threat to our physical being, if it was a property crime, if it was something else, and they're in prison for that? But as soon as they needed them out of prison because of the pandemic, they're let out. My sister is a criminal defense attorney. She does appeals, like a public defender appeals for for people who are convicted. And she's been telling me about how the whole criminal justice system has virtually shut down. Unless it's really somebody who's really a true threat uh, to people, to the community. You know, obviously, you want, you want a system in place to protect you, your kids, women. But other than that, it's... Um, you know, trials haven't been held. People have been released uh, and awaiting trial instead of keeping them in the county jails, which are overflowing. You know, the, the whole, all of a sudden, our criminal justice system sort of looks like what it should look like without all the, the confusion and the cluster fucking going on. But nothing, nothing will fundamentally change. Wow. They've let convicted criminals out of prison because they were never a threat to you or me. And they've let them out by the thousands. All these law and order types. Of course, things 
can and will fundamentally change. Well, listen here, you can't tell business what to do. You know, <laughs> the government is there to support business, not to order business around, not to tell business when business can be in business. It's business. And then all of a sudden, everyone from the governor of New York to this week, the mayor of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, just they just issue edicts announcing all bars are to be shut down. Boom. Oh, the bar owners are very upset. But they realized after giving them a chance to do some bartending, to do it outside, nobody obeyed the rules. A few did, but they got clobbered by all the people that didn't. And when the COVID begins to rise, the governor, the mayor, wherever, shuts down, tells business, tells business owners, to hell with whatever you say, we're the government, we're shutting you down, as it should be. Had we shut down, had we had a president that shut the country down for just two months back in March, back in February, March, April, if we'd shut down in March, April, kids, we wouldn't be having this discussion about kids being back in school, but we wouldn't do it. We didn't have that kind of leadership, but eventually enough governors and enough mayors did do it. And they went against American, American rule. Number one, the purpose of government is to support business. The business of government is business. Uh Uh-uh. That's a fundamental change, folks. And it happened because we, the people, were getting sick and dying and then demanding that the government do something about it. Those are just the fundamental changes caused with the pandemic. The fundamental changes that are taking place because we're in a depression, that's another whole list of things that are not the way it was when Joe Biden made that comment on June 18th, 2019. And then you take the uprising in the streets, the, the reckoning, the reckoning we're in the middle of with how we have treated black Americans for 400 years. And enough people are saying enough is enough. That's it. That shit's over. And look at, I mean, I don't know if these are fundamental changes, but when you've got NASCAR and the National Hockey League putting up signs saying Black Lives Matter and trying to do their damnedest to de-racist their, their sports, wow, man, that is something. And those are just cosmetic changes. The Black Lives Matter on people's uniforms and other sports and on the basketball floor in the NBA, all that stuff. That's great. I love I love seeing it. Roger Goodell saying here today that um, he was wrong about Colin Kaepernick. He should have listened to Colin Kaepernick. A lot of trouble could have been avoided. A lot of we could have been already on the road to anti-racism had they listened to Colin Kaepernick instead of blocking him from earning his living, shutting him down, shutting him up. He sure as hell better have a team to play for starting next month. No platitudes, Mr. Goodell. Give him his job back. I mean, Goodell essentially did say that. He, he, he's not the owner of the teams, but he's told the teams, <laughs> we got to find a way to right this wrong. Nothing will fundamentally change. Jesus Christ, if hockey and NASCAR and the conservative billionaire club called the NFL can start to make some changes, don't tell me there can't be fundamental change. Joe, you might have believed that when you said that last summer. But you need to come out now and say you were wrong. (laughs) Or I know it's hard for a politician to say they were wrong. Find a way to, just find a way to say that, boy, you know, I certainly, looking in my crystal ball, didn't see a pandemic, a depression, and and an uprising in support of black America. So um, let's just say that I'm on board. But why are they on board? They're on board because the people have demanded it. The people, they already know about the, the pandemic, the public. If there's any one reason why Trump will lose, should he lose, hopefully, it's because he's killed off tens of thousands of his own voters. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm a Republican. 
Huh. Until you realize it's you that killed Granny. Now they're wearing masks all across the South. Today it showed that every single state in the South, with the exception of Kentucky, West Virginia, and Missouri. Sorry, Missouri, I don't consider you in the Midwest. Every single state in the South, in the Deep South, in the last two weeks has had a decrease in number of COVID cases because they killed Granny. They didn't feel good about that. Once you kill Granny, then you start thinking, God, am I going to kill my own kids? No. Am I going to let my kids kill me? No. Put the mask on. And the number of COVID cases goes down. Nothing has fundamentally changed. People in the Deep South won't listen to reason. People in the Deep South will blindly follow Trump to their graves. No. Fundamental change before our eyes. And if you're a candidate, and especially if you're the Democratic candidate and you don't understand that, then you risk losing. You risk handing this over to Trump on some level. And if you're listening to this and you think that that can't happen, you just need to look at the polls from the past week. First of all, did you see the, the yesterday, the poll? There was no bounce for Biden out of the out of the convention. Biden got no bounce from the convention in the polls. Wow. Not a good sign, folks. They did a, uh, a poll last week of uh, just the battleground states, which is really what counts, right? Because this is where it gets to say, when they put these polls up, when they show like Biden ahead of Trump by eight or 10 points nationwide, well, this isn't decided nationwide. We know where it's decided. And this year, it's going to be decided in probably six to maybe eight states. So they did a poll of just those, what they're called battleground states, and they only polled registered voters, the people that are going to vote. Did you see the results? This was a, this was a CNN poll. The results? Biden, 49%. Trump, 48%. Just one percentage point apart from each other. With a, you know, plus or minus error rate of, you know, three something or 3%. So, do you understand what I just said? In a poll of the battleground states amongst registered voters, Biden 49, Trump 48. If you're sitting back thinking that we've got this thing in the bag, that there's no way Trump can win re-election during this pandemic, that he's, he has spent four years behaving like a madman, and therefore that's why he's going to lose. And it wasn't just the CNN poll. NBC poll showed that Trump had caught up in Michigan. He closed the gap, and he was only four points behind Joe Biden. NBC poll. Wow, that blew my mind. Minnesota. Minnesota was a state that Hillary won last time. Hillary won, but only by a few thousand votes. Very, very, very close. Right now in the polls, Trump, 47%. Biden, 47%. I know. I. You just threw up in your mouth. Um, look, we have to face the facts here. In between now and Election Day, I'm going to say it over and over again. Anybody who thinks this one's in the bag, anyone who's doing an end zone dance on the two-yard line before you've crossed over past the goal, it's exactly what happened in 2016. Then no matter how many times I said it or how loudly I said it, I couldn't get people to listen. People thought it was crazy that Trump was going to win Michigan or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania. We're in deep, deep shit here, my friends. And there is a way out. But it's going to require those of us who are dispirited and demoralized to rise above that and take the reins. We're the ones in power. Biden doesn't get to decide if things will fundamentally change or not. Kamala doesn't get to decide it. Trump doesn't get to decide it. The politicians don't get a say in this. We have the say. We put them in power. And once in power, we control them by how much we are willing to make our voices heard and how much we're willing to physically put ourselves on the line. That's how change occurs. History is full of examples of this. What will America look like? on January 20th, 2021, next January.
well, we'll still be in a massive economic depression. We'll also be in a psychological depression because I don't know how much more of this any of us can take. There's going to be massive labor unrest, especially essential workers are not going to risk their lives anymore for this if change doesn't occur. Occupy Wall Street, remember that back in 2011? Well, times that by 1,000. The people are going to be out in the streets. They're going to be surrounding the Capitol, the White House. They're not going to put up with this. Black Lives Matter, the great revolution that we're in the middle of right now, well, times that by a 1,000. Because by then, it not only will Black Lives Matter have the support, massive support, they already have it with, with brown people and other uh, people who have had to experience the oppression and the racism and the setbacks. They'll have it with white people, though, too. Because white people will, at the very least, see it as a class situation because anybody who's in the working class is going to be screwed. This is the America that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to inherit. And it won't just be those issues, too. It'll be climate, the climate crisis, uh, guns. Go down the list. People have had it. And that's what they're going to have to confront in the White House. Biden and Harris are going to inherit a failed state. And if you think that language is, is too strong, tell me what an, a nurse wearing a garbage bag represents. What kind of country does that happen in? A first world rich country or a failed state? I mean, when you can't, when you don't even have the basics to take care of your people, if they go to the hospital, if you don't even have the beds, if you don't have the medicine, if you don't have the people, we have to admit, all of us right now, that we currently live in a failed state. Everything has collapsed. The great America, we're number one, all turned out to be bullshit. If you are in the sixth month in your house or in your apartment with your kids, trying to teach them trigonometry when you don't remember a goddamn thing about it, <laughs> you live in a failed state. If you're afraid to go out of the house this deep into the pandemic because there's been no leadership to change things, and if we have politicians, and especially Democratic politicians, who are at the behest of the pharmaceutical industry, of the healthcare industry, the health insurance industry, corporate hospitals, is there a true commitment between Biden and Harris and the American people that when they take over, it won't be what the corporations want. It will be what the people need because the people are living in a failed state. I don't want to hear this. We're number one anymore because the things we're number one in are things we should be disgusted and embarrassed and humiliated by. So what will Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do in January if they are the ones who take over this rogue failed state, this collapsed American empire? Because I'll tell you right now, if they go milk toast, if they go half measures, if they go, well, we can compromise on that. Hollow rhetoric is not going to pass the smell test anymore with the American people. But if they are politicians that know which way the wind is blowing, and if they know that the American people, when they went to the polls and told the pollsters walking into the polls that they supported the things that Bernie believed in. I mean, I know it was a very, it's kind of a schizophrenic primary, wasn't it? Because they also said they thought the person that had the best chance of beating Donald Trump was Joe Biden. So they went in and they they weighed, okay, what's more important here? The person who has the best chance beating Donald Trump or the person that's got the policies that I agree with that will make my life better in this country? Well, you know, I think we know what happened here because the rule of Donald Trump has been so, so god-awful. The majority of people went with, I'm voting for the guy that's going to beat Trump. But I think, I'm hoping Biden is smart enough to know which way the wind is blowing and to understand that while they voted for him for this one reason, he's got the best chance of beating Trump. 
they also knew that they didn't really agree with his policies, whatever they were, because they were never quite clearly explained. But he does know that the majority of Americans want Medicare for all. The majority of Americans do want a Green New Deal. The majority of Americans want all these things that Bernie and AOC and the others were pushing for. And if he and Kamala fail to listen to that, there is going to be an uprising the likes of which is going to make the one that's going on right now look pretty pathetic. So here's what I want those of you who are are depressed about all this. You're going to vote. I know. Most people are going to vote. Most people are going to vote to get rid of Trump. It won't be good enough, though, because we have to bring others out to vote. And we have to give them a reason to vote. Not just tell them to vote. They're not going to vote because we tell them to vote. We have to understand that that Biden doesn't really get a say in this. We have the say. And I don't mean a say in whether or not he's president. I mean a say in what he and Kamala uh, are going to do to fix this. And I think, and you know, listen, I'll come back on here a year from now and you can let me have it if I'm wrong about this. But I think that there is a chance. I think that there's a chance that, especially because Biden you know, it's it's good that in some ways that Biden isn't an ideologue, that he does blow with the wind, and he's very good at picking up on what people want, and he likes people, and he wants to give them what they want, that he will do what we tell him to do. In a democracy, I think I just defined what a democracy is, right? The servants of the people, the politicians, are there to represent us and do what we want them to do. I'm just boiling it down. Uh, 10th grade government class into into one sentence. But here's what I want you to know, that if you're, if you're cynical and you're saying that, you know, there's no Mike, come on, we don't have that kind of power. We can't, you know, he's right. You know, fundamental changes just never take place because the people, the money are in charge and all that. And yes, that is usually true. But I can cite you many examples throughout history where events emergencies, reality forces the politicians to make decisions they otherwise would never have made. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, you know, he did, he didn't run as a populist. <laughs> he, he, he didn't run on an anti big business as a you know rabble rouser to bring down the corporate state. He was one of them. He was wealthy. His family had benefited from the system. But as soon as he was in there, the Great Depression, the poor, the working class, organized labor pushed him, pushed him into becoming the greatest American president in our history. That's my opinion. I'm going to stick with it. There's a great book um, called A Traitor to His Class about Roosevelt. And the focus of the book is about exactly how he went against. And the rich were shocked. Corporate America was shocked that he just barreled right over them and did what the people needed. He provided unemployment insurance. He provided Social Security. He got this all passed. He got, he got all these programs, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the, the, the workers, the WPA project, the, all these different programs to give people out of work jobs and money. And they called him a traitor to his class. But that happened. There's that great story of, of a, a group of activists met with Roosevelt in the White House and said, you know, we, we, you need to pass Social Security. And he said, well, I'd, I'd like to do that, but I'm telling you right now, uh, I can't do it. I mean, I just, I don't, first of all, I don't have, I don't have the legal power just to in, invent it. You're going to have to do it. In fact, you're going to have to force me to do it. You're going to have to be out there publicly demanding and forcing me and Congress to do this. And that's what they went and did. Look at Lyndon Johnson, my least favorite president of all time. He was the former senator of Texas, okay? So let's be clear. He was not a champion of civil rights or the emancipation of black Americans when John Kennedy in 1960 made him his running mate. And while he gave us the Vietnam War and 
and prolong the Vietnam War and help to eventually cause, along with Nixon's prolonging the war, the deaths of 58,000 Americans and anywhere from two to four million Southeast Asians. Wow. As president, he also signed the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act and Medicare and Medicaid. That's Lyndon Johnson. He's not inclined to do that. He's a fairly conservative Democrat from Texas. Did I mention that already? <laughs> but the people were in the streets. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. The demands were so great that he had no choice. And his landslide victory in 1964 said it all to him. Okay, I get it. They wish Kennedy were still alive. I've got to go that way. Dwight D. Eisenhower, President of the United States, a Republican, right? A Republican during the Cold War, during the McCarthy era. Yet, and he nominates, he puts Earl Warren on to be the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Earl Warren, a Republican from California. And what did Earl Warren do? From Brown versus Board of Education to a whole slew of things for the next almost 20 years, the Warren Court, perhaps the most liberal court in the history of the Supreme Court, brought to us by a Republican. Things do fundamentally change. Even when you somebody gets into office, you think, oh boy, there we go. Even the worst of them, Richard Nixon, oh God. I'm going to try to not to throw up in my mouth as I say this. But because of pressure, because Earth Day happens in, in 1970, within the next year or so, I believe, we had the Environmental Protection Agency, Title IX, which required schools and sports and schools to treat women, girls, equally. He decided that we shouldn't go to war with China, but that we should have peace and get along and talk with each other. That was Richard Nixon. So even the worst... Of course, I'm leaving Trump out of this because he the needle went off the off the chart on worst. So I don't know wh where he falls or how historians will judge these four years. But all these presidents made decisions, whether it was environmental, whether it was racial, whether uh, it was equality, whether it was education, whether it was helping the poor. They made these decisions because the people demanded it, because the people were in the streets, because there were organized movements. They all ran on the, don't worry, Wall Street, nothing will fundamentally change. And then, of course, Wall Street gets slapped in the face when some of these presidents get into office and know that they have to make a fundamental change if they're going to survive. I mean, just look at Biden's own history. He was a conservative Democrat. He spent his years in the Senate trying to outflank Republicans on, on how many black people can we lock up? Trying to outflank, trying to outdo Republicans on, on how many wars can we be in here and, and, and bomb and kill brown people, people of color. His support for the Iraq war, his support of NAFTA, which killed Flint, Michigan, which killed Detroit. Pro-bank, pro-Wall Street. That was Joe Biden. And then his career reputation, ironically, was rescued by Barack Obama. See, Obama, if you remember, ran to the left of Hillary. That's how he won. The big difference between them was Hillary was for the war and Obama was against it. And that was enough to get him elected, a guy nobody thought would ever even get through the primaries. But the people are ahead of the politicians. The people are ahead of the pundits. Hope and change. His whole attitude of telling us, I think we've had enough of the of the Clinton uh, triangulating the third way stuff. And so after Obama won the primaries, he chose Joe Biden to be to be his wingman. And he turned Biden into a kind of a cute and funny old sidekick. And and to Biden's credit, a deeply loyal number two to President Obama. And I think and I think Biden has said things to this effect that he went in there all kind of cocky thinking that, well, what he told David, uh, David Axelrod that he, even after he's in there in the vice president's office, that he still thought he would be a better president. 
than Obama. And after a year or two of seeing Obama in action, he realized that the, the better person won. So now, what will Biden become if he's in that Oval Office? You know who gets to determine that? You do. I do. We don't have Wall Street's money. We don't have the pharmaceutical money. All that money they give Jim Clyburn, number one recipient of pharmaceutical money. We don't, we don't have that. But we have ourselves and our voices and our feet and we have the streets. And if we're willing to keep this uprising going, we have the chance to get a lot of the things that we want. We'll never get them if it's four more years of Trump. We won't get them for at least four years at least until we get Alexandria elected in 20, 2024. But I don't want to wait. I don't think we should wait. We don't need to be playing defense with four years of Trump. We need to be playing offense with four years of Biden and Harris. It won't be easy. They are not us. But we stand a chance, some chances, on a number of things should they choose to listen to us. Would you agree there's a chance of that happening? I think there's a chance now. You have to say that after what we've seen in terms of this rebellion we're in the middle of. But if you give in now, if I give in, if we just say, what the fuck, who cares? Obviously, Wall Street ends up the winner. So they want us to say, who cares? I'm giving up. I'm not going to participate in this. That's exactly what they want. And it's exactly what the corporate Democrats that do their bidding want. I mean, just look what's happened this, this past year. And, and look at the power that we've exerted just at the ballot box. So the squad, right? You know, the squad, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, uh, Presley. Um, you know, those are the four um, main ones, but there are others, you know, who have obviously joined them. The squad now has power. They tried to get rid of them this year. Not the Republicans, the corporate Democrats. And they've all won. And they've won by landslides. They've been vindicated and affirmed and been given a mandate by their constituencies. They, the squad, are now the forces for good. And they're the leaders that we need right now. And we're going to elect a whole bunch more of them on November 3rd. Just watch what's going to happen. What's going to come out of this election in the congressional races, in the Senate races, in the, in the state houses, in the state senates? They're going to be leading the offense, the offense team, led essentially by these four women. We can't leave them to push that rock up the mountain. All of our hands have to be on that rock. This is something, I'm serious, folks, we need to really rejoice and be hopeful for. This is real hope. Their success during the primaries this year, how they beat back. I mean, and they, listen, they were up against Fox News. They were up against Trump. They were up against the GOP. But they were also up against the Democratic establishment and the corporate liberal media that worked together in harmony to slander them, to smear them, to denigrate Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, Muslim women, denigrate them. These are Democrats I'm talking about now putting up candidates to run against them, funding them with a ton of money, denigrating them in disgusting and ruthless ways. Millions of dollars, in fact, were raised against them. And they had to face these primary challenges. And, and we were told in the media that these were serious challenges. They were serious threats. They were intended to topple these outspoken women. And instead, Rashida and Ilhan and AOC won their primaries this year with massive landslide victories in turnouts that skyrocketed in terms of their attendance from 2018, from their first victories. And they did it in Detroit, Michigan, and Minneapolis, Minnesota, the biggest cities in the two monumentally important Midwestern swing states that must be won. Or must be must be kept. Michigan, you know, lost to Trump. Hillary won Minnesota, as I said, by just a few thousand votes. They have to hold Minnesota. They have to win Michigan back. 
or we've got four more years of Trump. Get this now. The people of Detroit and Minneapolis, they were given a chance to replace Rashida and Ilhan with Democrats who were more hmm, establishment friendly. You know, candidates that would not rock the boat in Washington. Instead, the voters showing up in massive numbers, they sent Rashida and Ilhan back to Washington to continue fighting for them against the warmongers and the polluters and the plutocrats and the racists and sexists of all stripes. If you are not listening to Michigan and Minnesota, you cannot expect to win on November 3rd. <laughs> and yet, Rashida and Ilhan erased from the convention. AOC gets her, they first said 60, I think she took 90 seconds. <laughs> These women have been made public enemy number one by Fox News, by the right-wing media. I know what that I know what that feels like. I'm glad to have some company. And yet, AOC won seventy percent of the vote, and yet she remains the most eloquent, forceful, and formidable elected Democrat in the country. Her numbers, our numbers, are growing. Just look what happened in, in New York, in, in uh, Westchester County, and in, in the Bronx. Uh, Democratic Socialist Jamal Bowman won an even more shocking win than AOC's first win in 2018 when he defeated Congressman Elliot Engel, guy who'd been there for almost 30 years. And in St. Louis, Missouri this summer, Cori Bush upset a 50-year Democratic Party family dynasty. Father and son have served that district for 50 years. Who was she? She was a Black Lives Matter activist in Ferguson, Missouri, after Mike Brown was murdered. She went from that. And let me tell you, I remember her because she she was one of the people. She stood, she stood there on a corner in Ferguson, near or at the site of his murder, of Mike Brown's murder. She and the other protesters stood there for 400 straight days holding signs, chanting, demanding. And Cori Bush was there for nearly every one of those 400 days. What's her, what's her qualifications to be in the United States Congress now? That, that is what qualifies her. That's amazing. And whether it's Cory or Jamal or AOC, Rashida, Ilhan, Presley, all, I mean, the list goes on. And the list is growing. Their numbers are growing. They're winning. More are going to join them. And my friends, please, let's not abandon them. Let's not leave this up to them. Let's not send them to Washington to play defense with a second Trump presidency. This is on us now. We are the squad. That's the way we have to look at this. And we have to let Biden know conservatism is dead. <laughs> it's a lie. Neoliberalism has been exposed as a fraud and a failure. And you, my friends, you are part of an ascendant movement. You, we, are winning. Even when looking at a nominee and a vice presidential nominee that haven't always shared our values, you can see who's winning this. The people are winning this. Now is not the time to pull back. Now is not the time to give up. And let's not forget, before history gets rewritten here, that the people that were behind Bernie in the primaries that he won, those first three primaries, becoming the first candidate in American history to win the popular vote in the very first three primaries. He also won not just the youth vote, he won the vote of the majority of people under 49 years old. He overwhelmingly won the Latino vote during the primaries. This is the largest and fastest growing minority group in this country. They rarely get talked about during all this. Again, their, their presence on the main stage of the convention was not what it should have been. If Democrats want to keep defeating Republicans, these are the Americans, young adults, 
under the age of 49. Latino voters. This is who the Democrats need to appeal to to win. Not Republicans. You know what? The Republicans who don't like Trump, they left Trump. They didn't vote for him in 2016. They had 15 months of him. They got sick of him. And they either stayed home or they or they voted for Hillary. To be four years later, still trying to convince Republicans who are who've been for Trump for four years, they've supported everything they've seen. And now, uh, oh, yeah, now I'm uh, sure. Yeah, why not? Let's vote for Biden. How idiotic is that? The Democrats, I mean, they are their own worst enemy. And they, I, they what do they do? They sit around in meetings uh, trying to come up with ways to repel us even more. I, I love it when Stephen Colbert, whenever he has a, uh, a Democrat big shot on his show, first question always is, so uh, tell us, how do you intend to lose this election? Because <laughs> it's the truth. They actually look like they're constantly trying to lose. Even even during convention week, you had you had one of Biden's top aides admit that you know we're really not going to change a whole lot because we're not going to have the money. You know, austerity will continue. You know, it's it or the or the the spokesman. We talked about this last week when we had Linda Sarsour on. How they just the spokesman just decided to throw. The one of the most popular Muslim Americans, Muslim women, under the bus. Oh yeah, no, we don't know her. We have nothing to do with her. She's not part of this. And then after the the podcast ran, I think, or I got off that uh, uh, the interview with her, and and there was a uh, uh, Simone Sanders, spokeswoman for Biden, uh, disavowing that that they're not throwing her under the bus. Uh, she wouldn't say her not by name, to be honest. She she just wanted to make it clear that uh, Democrats can criticize Israel. That's okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, man. These people in the Democratic corporate establishment, they want you to check out, my friends. They want you demoralized. You know, they, they uh, last week it was uh, on ABC's the coverage of the Democratic convention. Uh, there was Rahm Emanuel saying, uh, no, no, the only thing that's important is defeating Trump. We don't care about any of these policies or whatever. And I'm like, Rahm, <laughs> stop it. This is not how we win by telling people that the things that they care about don't matter. Or, you know, all we should be thinking about is getting rid of Trump. That's the most important thing. It's hard enough that we had to watch John Kasich and Mike Bloomberg and and all these Republicans on the stage while dissing Latino Democrats, dissing the squad. We have to energize and empower every last block in Detroit, in Philly, in Flint, in Milwaukee, in those three states that we lost to Trump. We need every African-American out there. And you know what? You better give them a reason to come out because... They're not doing your bidding anymore, corporate Democrats. Every time that you say or do something against what they need, you are weakening our chances of winning. You are costing us the election. You say you don't want to do a Green New Deal or Medicare for All. Why would you say that when that's what the majority of Americans want? Certainly what the majority of Democrats want. Why would you, why would you as Democrats say such a thing? Why would you take the risk of losing again? Even winning the popular vote, but losing the Electoral College. Why would you do that? I have to say, too, just as a side note, that Ice Cube, I think, provided more thoughtful, rational, and helpful post-convention commentary than any of the uh, um, pundits that we were watching on TV. And I'll, I'll put a link here on this page, on my podcast page for you, so you can see a few of the things that uh, Ice Cube had to say. Look, all these things, all these criticisms I'm giving of these uh, party hacks, yes, there are reasons for all of us to be skeptical, to be angry, to refuse to drink the DNC Kool-Aid, but these are not excuses for us to check out, for us to stop leading the uprising. These are not excuses to sit this one out and to give in. Don't sink into your despair, my friends. Don't check out. Don't cede the ground to them. 
Stand your post. If you sink into your despair, if you give up, if you give in, if you check out of politics, then one of two awful things is going to happen. Number one, obviously, Trump will be reelected. Or number two, Biden will win, but fail. We will continue to suffer in a failed state. We'll get slaughtered in the 2022 midterms. And let me tell you what's going to happen then. A wiser, more disciplined Republican, still with Trump's politics, just not his mad behavior. That person is going to be the next president. You've seen the Lincoln Project ads. These people are smart. And they're going to take over the Republican Party and try to get it back on its feet while we're flailing around. Because nothing will fundamentally change. That's wrong. It already has. What's happening? What's happening? It's bigger than Biden. And it's out of his control. In the midst of a blizzard of Trumpian lies, when Trump says that Biden is being controlled by the left, (laughs) I'd like to believe that's the one true thing. Donald Trump has been saying. Let's fulfill Trump's greatest fear that Biden is being controlled by the left, because really, what is the left? The left is the majority of Americans. These are not the majority of Americans will not call themselves on the left. But when you again, you ask them what they believe in. They want a living wage. They want to stop the death of this planet. They want women in control. Go down the whole list. This is the list of the left. And Trump does know that. And that's why he's saying that. Because he also knows and is worried that Joe Biden has a heart. That Joe Biden knows which way the wind is blowing. That Joe Biden doesn't walk around with a Bible as a prop. He actually goes to Mass every Sunday. He actually thinks about what Pope Francis is encouraging him and others to do. To take care of those who are the have-nots. To protect this earth, God's gift to humanity. To stand up for what is right and just. To not throw people in prison in mass. Trump knows that's the future. Trump knows the future looks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Jamal Bowman. That is the youth of America. And he won't live long enough to see them as the true majority. But that's where it's heading. So why not all of us just get on that train right now? Let's not give up. Let's push. Let's act. Let's let Biden and Harris know who's in charge. I think they want to win. They better win. (laughs) It's theirs to lose. And as Colbert said, they've got a plan on how to lose. I don't want this in their hands. I don't want the control of this in their hands the next four years. I want it in our hands. So let's do what we have to do. Rise up. Get out of your funk. Whoever our next Bernie is, if it's AOC or whoever, don't worry. We're going to be fine. That person, that person is going to win eventually and not, and not that long into the future. Let's create the future right now. Let's not give up. I thank you for listening uh, to this rant of mine. I'm I'm so I'm so desperate that we do the right thing and that we do the hard thing to do the thing that sometimes is difficult to do. It's hard because we don't see the victory right in front of us, right in front of our nose. But you feel it, don't you? Don't you feel it that the old white men are not going to be calling the shots anymore? That Wall Street is going to have to do what we tell them to do. That the rich are going to have to start paying their taxes. All of their taxes. Yeah, that's the way it's going to go. We won't have it any other way, will we?
This is Rumble. I'm Michael Moore. Get out there and join the Rumble, my friends. This is ours to win, ours to control. I'll talk to you soon. Mothers and fathers throughout the land Don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can lend your hand For the times, they are changing The curse it is cast The slow one now Will later be past As the present now Will later be past Your old road is rapidly fading And the first one now Will later be last For the time